All right, we'll be taking communion after the service together. And uh, in the meantime, if you would turn to 1 John, your Bible should basically just flop open at that point right now. I hope we've been in it for a while, probably since, I don't know, maybe July, August, somewhere around there. But, uh, and we are working through it. And we are in chapter 4, chapter 4, and today we'll be looking at verses 7 to 12. If you recall, John is writing to the church that's been under attack by heresies. People have bought into the heresies, and they've left the church. And John is giving us tests. He's giving them tests to say, you are saved if you recall in the fifth chapter of this book, 1 John, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He's trying to make sure to give them assurance that you are saved and he's going to give them tests to see just what constitutes eternal life, the beliefs that you are necessary, the faith that's necessary there. And if you recall, he started and he did the doctrinal tests. He said the first thing is, and I'm paraphrasing, you have to believe in the, the right Jesus. If your doctrine of Christ is wrong, everything else collapses. And we said that one of the things that cults always do if you examine every cult, you're going to see they have a false doctrine of Christ. Their, their doctrine of Christ is going to be distorted. It's going to be heretical. And then he said, besides that, he said, you need a right doctrine of sin. We have to understand that we are sinful to the core. The, the idea today that, well, we're really, man is basically good. That's nonsense. Man does do nice things. Occasionally we do good things, and we don't know why the motives are. Only God knows. And that's why God checks the heart and examines the mind, he says, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Because God knows I, you can't just look at the outward deeds and think, oh, that's a wonderful thing. God says, well, let's look at the motive of your heart and see why you do what you do. So he gives these doctrinal tests of looking at their doctrine of sin, their doctrine of Jesus. And then he goes to these moral tests. And the two tests that he really emphasizes are obedience to God's word and love. And John, if you remember, he's circular. He, he keeps teaching almost like circles and they get bigger and bigger. Or as somebody once said, John writes almost like a screw going into a board where it starts, he'll speak about something and the, the thread is small and it's not that deep. But then as you keep screwing and turning the screw, now he gets back to it and that the thread is bigger, it's wider, and it goes deeper. He said, and that's the way John teaches most of the time here like that. He's not like Paul. Paul lays out doctrine one after the other. You know, he builds a tremendous case like this. That 
I like John because I can relate to him. I have a tendency to bounce around, and John does that, and he'll speak about something, and then he'll go back to it again, talk about something else, and then go back to it again. So uh, I can relate to John, I think, more. Uh, but anyway, I'd like to read the scripture, but before we do, let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you today, Lord, and we rejoice in your love and the hope that you've given us, Lord. And Father, now as we look at your word, Lord, may you open our hearts and our minds, and Lord, may I speak only your truth. And Lord, if I should say anything outside of that, I pray it would be forgotten quickly. Lord, and I pray you would, you would give us hearts not only to listen, but as your word tells us in James, that we need to do what it says. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at John here. We're talking about love again. This is the third time that John is, is going to be speaking about love. He spoke about it in chapter 2. And he spoke about it in chapter 3. But now he's really going to dig in even deeper. The screw is turning deeper here. And he's really going to get into it. So let's look at it. I'll read these five verses. And then we'll go back verse by verse and analyze them. Dear friends. Remember, he's writing to Christians. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The, the title of the message for this portion of Scripture today, I called God's Amazing and awesome love. And those of you who know me know I don't like to use the word awesome for anything except God. Because baseball teams aren't awesome. <laughs> you know, certain performers, they're not awesome. The dinner I had last night might have been great, but it wasn't awesome. Because when something is awesome, it fills us with awe. In the book of Acts, when Luke writes and accounts for the early church, he says that the people, they were filled with awe and wonder. How I want the church, the Christian church today, to get back to that when it comes to God, that we would be filled with awe and wonder. And we should be. That should be a natural response. See? We should be, and we're going to look at scriptures today that should fill us with awe and wonder because they're absolute truth. When you think about this, the Bible is absolute truth. That means it applies to all people in all times 
and all situations. It doesn't change. Our culture changes. Our views about things change based on that. But God's word never changed. That's the absolute truth. That's what we have. You know, and think about it. We're, we're in a, a, a society of relativism today. You know, well, think about if we deny truth, you know, when a light is red, it's red. We can't say, well, to me it looks black. To me it looks yellow. To me it looks green. It's red. And when you break away from that, you know what happens. Take a traffic light and say, huh, that's not red. I say it's green. Go through it and see how many times you do that before you, you, know, you either kill yourself or somebody else. Truth, there's certain truths that do not change ever, and it's God's truth. You know, I think it was St. Augustine who said that all truth, all, the mountain of truth, how did he put it? He said, all truth, he said, ultimately leads to the top and to God. He said, all truth is God's truth, and it always leads to God if it's truth. And I'm not saying, and I know today we have uh, people like to say about religions that, you know, there's many roads up the mountain. That's not true. That's what John is fighting here. There's the people who are saying, there's, you know, that all roads lead to God up the mountain. No, all roads don't lead. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That, you can't argue with that. You can argue with it, but it's very direct. It's clear what Jesus says. And I know it's offensive today to people. People get offended by that because they say, well, that's your opinion, or how can you say that? Because God said it, and it's truth. And again, I said this last week, and I wanted to be clear that we don't be arrogant with the truth. I have met Christians over my life, especially before I was saved, who are arrogant and when they presented the truth to me, I just, I wanted to say, back off. I, 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 could not, I could not deal with them. They were arrogant. We're to talk to people with gentleness and respect, always undergirded by love. That's what the Bible says. We're to speak the truth in love. So let's look at this topic of love this morning here. John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. If we go back, if you remember, the love we're talking about is not physical love, it's not emotional love, but it's a love of the will. It's a love, agape love, that is self-sacrificing for the good of others. It's godly love. When we're dealing with love here, we're talking about agape. We're not talking about eros or phileo, the other types of loves that the Greek language had. We are talking about a godly love. And agape is the love that we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's an act of the will. It's not, I do it because I'm emo I, I feel my emotions. It's not because I'm attracted to this person as an eros. It's because I am looking out for the spiritual, emotional, and well-being of someone else more than myself. You picture Christ coming and doing this, and we say, where does that come from? Well, 
ideas. One, I, I lean toward that. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says that God's, God said, let us create man in our own image. That we are created in the image of God. And if you take in the beginning of Genesis, here's God speaking, and you say, who is he speaking to? The word used is Elohim, and that's a plural word of El, which means God. God is a plurality. He's a plurality in the sense he's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we see that throughout without going, I don't want to take the time now, but throughout the Bible we can see where the Trinity is made clear throughout many times. And we see this, and the Trinity has always existed. God has always existed, which is, that's my question I want to ask God. When I first get to heaven, I want to ask God, how is it that you weren't created, that you've always been? And if he decides to tell me, I won't understand it, but I am going to be because he's God and I'm not. And even though we'll be made perfect in love and understanding, we will never be with the understanding of God. We'll always, and that's why, again, I've repeated this, heaven is going to be an amazing, continually amazing place. We'll never get bored because every time I learn something new about God, I'm going to be in awe and wonder, and then I'm going to learn something else and be in awe and wonder. We're going to, you talk about being in awe and wonder. That's why in Revelation, you see, they keep falling down and worshiping. Because every time you, have, you, you realize who God is and you're there in his presence, you're never going to get bored. You're not going to think about cell phones or computers or going for a ride in your car or anything like that. You're going to be in awe of God. When John says that in earlier, he had said that. He said, then we will see him. We'll see him face to face see him as he is that was the desire of every hebrew to see the face of god moses said that to god in exodus 33 he said lord show me your glory what did moses say uh, moses i can't do that no man can look at me and live why because he's holy and we're in a sinful state but john tells us that when we get to heaven when we come face to face we will see him as he is because we will be like him, he says. We will be transformed. No more will we have this body of sin and death. But we will be like Christ. We won't be God, but we will be like him as far as sinlessness. We will not only be free from the presence of sin within us and without us. There will be no sin. It will be pure. And finally, we will be at rest in our souls. And we will be, that, that's the bliss. Every Jew wanted to see the face of God. That was the highest thing because that is the state of blessing when we see God. So John, let me get back to where we were. Okay, anyway, with the Trinity, now back to the Trinity, now back to our scheduled message. Uh, the Trinity was eternal and is eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there was perfect relationship. That is the ideal perfect relationship. Of, you want to know a perfect relationship? It's the Father to the Son and the Spirit. You know, the Father loves the Son 
The Son loves the Father. The, the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, and they love Him. It's perfect love. And when He created, it says He created us in His image. In the Hebrew, that word image means to carve out. We were created like a carving, a, a replica of God, not deity, but in, in the ability. We say, when we say that the image of God, obviously we're not talking physical. God is an eternal spirit, so it's not physical. But we were created like him to bear his image. We are the only creatures that have a self-awareness, self-consciousness of ourselves. We're the only creatures that can reason, that can think abstractly. We have creativity and we have the capacity to love and, to, and we have the capacity for holiness as well that's given to us from God. No other creature has that. We are different than the animals. I know in our culture today, we try to humanize animals, and that's okay. We love our creatures. They're part of the family, this and that. But they are not like human beings. God created only man in his image. And again, we love our creatures, and they're beautiful little friends, you know, but they're not like people, and they're not supposed to be, and we're not supposed to act like animals, are we, either? So it, uh, it works out good. So he says... For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. That idea of being born of God means that we have his nature. We have that nature has been passed to us. When you think of a, fa a child, the father's nature, a mother's nature is passed on to them. Well, in the sense of born of God, we're born again. And when we're born again, what's happened? We're a new creation in Christ. We are born again. And now we are to bear that nature. We're to have that nature of God in us. We're no more to have that selfishness that we have. We share, means the, basically to share his nature. And John is saying everyone who loves has been, who's been, who loves shares the nature of God and knows God. In order to share the nature of God, you have to know God. The Bible makes it clear that we have a sinful nature. What, did, what does it tell us in Genesis 6-5? It says that when God looked at man, he saw that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart. Not even just every thought, but the inclination. Even before we think it, we're inclined. We're leaning towards wickedness. He says every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. In our natural self, and I know we went back to, you know, some people say, well, people are naturally good. My question to you is, why do we put locks on everything? You think about that. We lock our house. We lock our car. We lock the trunk on the car. You have a bicycle, you have a lock for the bicycle. It just goes. People lock their diaries. We have locks on lockers. Your mailbox, if you have a mailbox at the post office, is a combination because it's locked up. It's so messed up that even some people use locks on bagels. Okay, I got to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please. I'm sorry. I shouldn't. What? I really wish at times um, I have an impulse to say things like that, and it's like, why do you do that? I'm sorry. Okay, anyway, I ask for your forgiveness for that. <laughs> God has already forgiven me for that, and I hope you can too. But seriously, 
Oh, well, all I have to do is open up the paper every day and read the first five or six pages. And what it tells me is that we live in a very sinful world. Now, I know you can say, yeah, but they always, negativity has a way of spreading faster than positive. Absolutely. We don't want to hear all a wonderful story where somebody saves somebody. Once in a while you'll get that. We love to hear all the dirt and all the things. But it is true. It's, I, I open up the paper and I say, this shows me the depravity of mankind when I see the depth of what is. And if you don't think you're a selfish person or a, a person who struggles with, with sin, I just ask you when you get behind the wheel of a car, how do you react to the wheel behind a car? Boy, if see some reason, when we get behind a steering wheel, the sinful nature manages to come out, even if it's not in action, but it's in the heart. You know, I, I struggle with this, I'll confess. Lots of times, I'll try to go out of my way to give somebody a break to like turn in someplace or do something, this and that. And I still at times get upset inside. I don't, you know, but it's still there inside where like you'll, you'll go, come on, come on. And they'll just like look at you and then take off. And it's like, I, all I wanted was like a, you know, I'm looking for something because I'm sinful. You know, I want credit. I want something. You know, it's not, it's not an act of just generosity. It's, I want to be nice, but I want you to acknowledge how nice I am. You know, and that's where, the way, where we're at. Maybe you don't, maybe none of you have that problem. I don't know. But uh, I find that. Or if you hold a door for somebody, and like, you even go out of your way to hold it a little longer, and they just walk right past, and like, just like, you know, I'm the doorman or something, you know, and you, <laughs> you know. But we get upset at that inside. Do you ever? No? Nobody does. Uh, okay, I'm glad a couple of you, just to make me feel good. Okay. Yeah, and, but that shows the this, this selfish, sinful nature of us. We're not just doing things out of pure love. If we were, what's the difference what they say? But no, it bothers me because somehow I want you to acknowledge that I'm a nice person. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of our nature like that. But he says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What he's saying that, that's, that's a test. To, do you, if you know God, he says, you're going to love. There'll be that agape love, that love of you that wants to self-sacrifice for others. He'll say, that's part of you. He says, because you know God. They go together. Know God, love. And now watch what he says. Whoever does not love does not know God. He puts it in the, in the negative. You know, if you don't love, it's obvious he's saying you don't. You can't be a Christian and not have love. That's the mark of a Christian, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, a new command I give you? Love one another. Now, and again, we talked about this in the previous chapters, that the new command is that Jesus says, as I have loved you, now you are to love one another. Now, you, in fact, he says, you must love one another. That's a command. That's not just Jesus just saying it would be nice if you did this. He says, as I have loved you, what did he do? He gave himself completely. And more than we could ever do, right? Philippians 2, God comes down. He gives up every divine privilege. Comes in a human body. He's all God and he's all man. And 
we, he did that, and Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest, that's Jesus, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Because Jesus went through everything that we went through, except he's sinless. He never sinned. Whereas we will fall to the temptation at times, Jesus never fell to the temptation. He always, in fact, what did he do? He used the word of God to battle. When Satan in that confrontation in chapter 4 of Matthew, when he battles that Satan is doing everything to the unbridled assault upon him for 40 days, every time Jesus comes back, he just says, you know, it is written. It is written. It is written. That's why it's so important that we have the word of God when we are tempted, that we have that ammunition there. We have that up here, and the Holy Spirit can bring it in, and we also need it down there. And then we can, we can battle temptation. We don't have to give in to temptation. He says, now, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I want to park on this place for a little bit. You know how you, you go on a trip and you drive and then all of a sudden you see one of those vistas or places and you go, oh, look at that, and you'll pull over to the side of the road. This to me is one of those where you pull over and you stop for a few minutes. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This, <laughs> I, I look at that and I, I wonder. I know the, the Christian church, I always feel that we need more of Christ that we need more relationship. We need to know more. Absolutely, Christians, we are to be educated in doctrine and knowledge of God. But I get afraid sometimes that the personal relationship with God is lacking in the church. And when I say I mean all Christian churches. The relationship aspect of it. Uh, how many times have you heard, you know, well, we... We need something. We need something to stir us up. Why do I feel we always need something to stir us up as a church or as individuals? I always feel we want to get stirred up. Go back to this verse. Go back to the fact. Go back to the cross always. It's, it's all about the cross. And we... We... At times we get so smart with doctrine, and we should be. But orthodox doctrine, solid doctrine, is not enough. The relationship has to be there. If I told you there are theologians in colleges and in the world who aren't Christians, Christian, that they go on Christian doctrine and they write about it, Christian theology, but that doesn't mean they're saved. They know so much, and yet they don't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of their writings, when you read it, you understand they can't know Jesus for what they're writing, the heresies 
the writing, but they claim to be Christian. It's so important for us to get back to the basic fact. John 3.16, if we could just hold on to that and under, try to understand what God did for us. It's the most amazing act of love. And we sing it all the time, don't we? Amazing love, how can it be? Or amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And, but it's, if I were to ask you, how many days do you go without really communing with God? Without taking five or ten minutes a day even to just be in silence before God. That is so critical. And to just meditate on his love. To just be able to think deeply about the love of God. I know there's a few Christians, friends of mine, who have really been looking at the idea of Christian meditation. You know, uh, a lot of you know uh, Lou Samaritano and Mike Stolacci have really been focusing upon that. And that is so critical. I, I'm afraid that we're going through the motions, but our heart isn't being stirred by the truth because we're not spending time with God. Think about, as Christians go on, lots of times they say, we, we like new Christians to come into the church because why? They have such excitement. They're all excited. As older Christians, we should be the most excited because we should know that much more about God. Like I was talking about with heaven. It's not, we should be encouraging the younger Christians. Yet when they come in, they're excited, of course, but... It's more of a, sometimes, I don't want to say superficial, but it's that initial excitement. You know, and I hate to use it to people dating, but when people first go out, there's that incredible excitement, you know, of I want to get to know this part. And why do you want to spend time? I want to know them. I love being with them. Why does that change with God? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It should be, I would hope, that you, those of you who are married, have more love for your wife or husband today than you did on your honeymoon. I really mean that. I, I've always loved my wife, but the longer you know each other, the deeper that love grows, the deeper the commitment grows. And there's still attraction and excitement. But it's, that's not the whole relationship. And that's a nice part of it. But it's knowing that person and loving them where you're willing to lay down your life for them and they're willing to lay down their life for you. That's, that's a picture of what Christ did for us. He gave, he, he loved us. It's what does it say? For God so loved the world. He loved it like this. He said, that he gave his one and only son who would give up their child here? I'm sorry, but, you know, you hold on to that child and, you know, go ahead, put the bullet in me or do whatever you got to do, but not them. But God was willing to do that. And not because he hates his son, because he loves him with a love that we can't understand, but it was for our sake that he laid down his life.
this is, I know you're probably saying, oh, come on, we, we know the story of the cross. We need to go through it every day and realize God loves me. I don't know why he loves me. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. But it's because he loved us so much. That's God. He created us and he loves us. And he wants fellowship with us here. Uh, I, I, what I fear sometimes, let me just check. Okay. I want to read something to you. I don't, I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen, please. And I'll tell you. You'll, you'll know what it is right away. John is writing to uh, the seven churches. Jesus says, I want you to write to these seven churches. And John is basically just, Jesus is talking and he's writing on the Isle of Patmos there. He writes this to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. Now, their doctrine is right on. They're not allowing sin in the church when there's false teachers like John is writing to in 1 John. He's saying, no, no. This church is dealing with those false teachers and exposing them because their doctrine is sound. They're good that way. He says, you have persevered. Wow, sounds like a great place to be, doesn't it? A church that perseveres. You have endured hardships. Boy, that's real solid faith, it sounds like there. You hang in there even when it's tough. For my name, he says, you've endured. So they're being persecuted as Christians, but they're, they're standing for the name of Christ. And you have not grown weary. Because you're not getting tired. Even though you're getting beat down constantly, you're not tiring. You're staying faithful. He says. And the next verse, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What? How can they be forsaking their first love when they're such a strong church? Because they're going through the motions. They have good doctrine. They're, they attend everything. They attend Sunday morning. They attend Wednesday night prayer group. They go to all the small groups and everything and pray together. But Jesus says you've, you've, lost, you've lost the focus here. You've lost the reason why you do it. It's out of love for me. It's knowing me and loving me. He says, but you've forsaken your first love. And then he reminds him, he tells him three things. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And then three, do the things you did at first. You know, I, I'm afraid that's the average modern church. I really do. I think we have a lot of activities and we get excited to come together. But I think we're losing why we come together. It's that love that God has showed us. And that should mo the love that God showed us is what motivates us to love him. John is going to say, he says, we love because he first loved us. The only reason we can love God is because he loved us first. Without his love, we don't love him. Think about before you were saved. Were you attracted to God? No. 
We, want, we did what we wanted to do. We, were, we thought we were autonomous. But we're not. And when God took a hold of our hearts and we were saved, we loved him at that point. We realized, what did he do for me? He gave me eternal life. He gave me forgiveness, eternal life. He gave me abundant life, as Jesus says. So he says here, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I want to read you something from, if you want to look at with me, you can, in Romans chapter 5. I think it'd be, if you like to follow along, it's Romans chapter 5. We all know what Romans 5, 8 says. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But I want you to see the, the preceding verses here because it makes it that much deeper. So if you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. The apostle writes, You see, at just the right time, in other words, in God's time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. We were ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Now put that into context. In other words, he's saying, possibly if there's a righteous or a good man, someone might dare to take their place. But he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't righteous. We weren't good. But that's that love that God shows, that agape love. That love that gives all for the sake of someone else. Now, he says in verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That It's interesting, that atoning sacrifice, some of you might have propitiation there in your Bibles. I don't know if it does. He was a propitiation. In the book of Hebrews, they, have a, they take that word and they use it pertaining to the atonement cover, the mercy seat of the ark. In, in Israel, when they had the temple, there was that special place in the back, that little room that had that curtain that when Christ died and completed his work, it was torn in two, it says, from the top down. God did it. And it says that there was, in there, there would, the Holy of Holies, there would be the Ark of the Covenant, where inside there would be the Ten Commandments, Moses' staff that budded, and a jar of manna. And in that, on top, was the mercy seat of it, or the atonement cover, and there were the cherubim on each side, these angels with wings that were, were beautiful. It was a, a beautiful piece of artwork. And that was, the man, that was there where God manifested his special presence with the, the people of Israel. The ark represented the presence of God with them and his faithfulness and his covenant with them. And once a year, the priest would go in there, the, the high priest, and he would have to make sure he was clean of all his sins. He would make his own sacrifice for his sins. And he would go, the only person that could enter that room in the presence of God, and he would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the atonement cover. And 
that was to appease, in a sense you could think of the, the word uh, propitiation means to appease or satisfy the righteous demands of God, the right the justice of God. The justice of God. See, we, all, we always like to think of God. I know a lot of people say, my God is a God of love. So is mine. And he's a God of justice. And think about it. If you have all love with no justice, what is that? You know, just, I mean, picture a, 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 a judge, you know, where somebody just murdered five people brutally. And he says, what you did was wrong but I forgive you. Come here. Come here. Go and don't do that anymore. Well, he'd be thrown off the bench in a minute. He'd be a horrible judge. What kind of judge would God be if he gave us laws and it says that the penalty for sin is death and he just said, oh, I love you. Stop doing that. Stop hurting people. Just do that. He'd be a horrible judge. Where would the justice be in that? So God is a perfect judge. I said this a couple weeks ago. God has that perfect balance, perfect love, but on the other side is perfect justice. And we get, you take and put all God's attributes together. He's a God of holy love. Holy love demands justice as well. So he's, he's a God of holy love. And here he says, this is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, that you picture that Old Testament, it's a picture of Christ, what He would do eventually. He eventually was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He was that Lamb without spot or blemish that died for us, and His blood is sprinkled on us, on our hearts. He paid the price for us the way in the Old Testament that picture was of Jesus there with that uh, atonement cover. In verse 11, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Shouldn't that motivate us? God was willing to love me. Shouldn't I be loving others? We're Christians. We're little Christs, it means. We bear that image, in a sense. We reflect the holiness of God. Verse 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. What is John saying? He says, No one has ever seen God. God is spirit. And no one could ever see the holiness of God while we're in this sinful body. We would disintegrate. We couldn't bear to be before a holy and just God in our sinful state. But, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. How do we show the world that God loves? By us loving others as Christians, as little Christ, as bearing that image, they are showing that to the world. That's how people see God through us. Remember what Jesus said? I'll say it again. You know, and this, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you, he said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. 
when they see the love that you show, not, not just an affectionate love, not just a physical love, but agape love, a love that says, I'll do whatever I have to do for you, for your sake, not mine, with no motive of what am I going to get? Always don't, isn't that always, even when we do things, go back to the driving, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go, but... I want you to give me one of these, you know, for being a nice driver. No. We do it because we love God. Because God so loved us. That's the way it's supposed to work. You know, and I, I just ask, do you feel, and we're going to close, do you feel that your love for God has deepened? Do you feel, you say, ah, I just... I don't feel quite like I used to feel, or I don't feel. Because maybe you're talking about feel. <laughs> it's not so much what we feel all the time. It's what we do. You know, John, through this, we got, in fact, something came in my head. I just want to share this quick. Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says, God now, listen to these words. God has poured out his love into our hearts. He's poured out the love. In other words, he's abundantly given us love. He's poured it. He's lavishly put love upon us. He says he's poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Think about that. We have the Holy Spirit in us. God has poured out his love through the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to be the people God wants us to be. We know his love and his great salvation. We have his word. And John, when he, earlier in this, he talks about those two things, obedience and love. Love should motivate us. The love that God showed us should motivate us to love one another. And what is a sign of loving God? Obedience to his word. We should hunger to want to do what God says. And you know what? I've said this before. I'll say it again. I have never regretted doing what God wants me to do. The times I have wrestled, I regretted. But the times when I knew God is, is calling me to do this, I do it. And you know what? we end up being fulfilled and blessed. Not because we want it, because he pours that into us. He just, he gives us his love. He gives us the spirit. And so, so I, I just want to encourage you. If you feel like your love has cooled for God, go back and read these verses. Take John 3.16 this week. And how about every day for 10 minutes just look at that scripture. Think about what that means for you, what it has meant for you, and what it will mean for you in eternity because of that. We have everything to thank God for. It's all him, and we thank him for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a love that is hard for us to Imagine and describe, Lord, we try. Lord, help us 
to get a better grasp on what you have done for us. Help us, O God, to love the way you have loved, Lord, that we would be willing to lay ourselves down for others, Lord. Help us not to always wonder what we can get. Lord, what's in it for me? But Lord, help us to think, what can I do to bring someone closer to you, to understand your love? And may they see it through our lives. You told Jesus, you, in the Sermon on the Mount, you said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. May the things we do, people realize that it is the love of Christ in us. And may they seek you and your love as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.